Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Autism Stories. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience, and Autism Stories is where we interview autistic people to learn from their stories, experiences, and get their insights. If you would like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review, as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. On today's episode, Emily Archer joins us to discuss teaching autistic students, accommodations that are helpful to students on IEPs and 504 plans, and reducing their overwhelm at school. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Emily, thanks so much for joining me here today on Autism Stories. Hi, thanks for having me. I think you're my first guest that has a number line in the, in their background here on Autism Stories. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm in my classroom right now, so. Yeah, yeah, of course. So I wanted to start off our discussion by learning where does your story in the autistic community begin? So growing up, I always had neurodivergent friends. You know, neurodivergent people tend to gravitate toward each other. In high school specifically, a lot of my friends were in like autism special instruction programs. I wasn't personally, but I ended up befriending a lot of those people just because I got along with them. But more specifically, I started my Instagram account. When I got formally diagnosed back in March, I started poking around a little bit before I knew I was autistic, but I had a lot of imposter syndrome. When I got my formal diagnosis, I started poking around a little more and learning about the community. I wanted to connect with more people and whatnot. And in July, I began my Instagram account at the very end of July, beginning of August, just to talk about what it's like teaching an autism special instruction classroom as an autistic person myself. It's been really fun. I'm glad you started that account. And as you mentioned, uh, you're a teacher and you teach a specialized instruction autism classroom. And I think sensory mm -hmm. issues are a part of why many of us as autistics might have struggles in the education system. So I'm wondering in what ways you adapt your instruction or classroom to meet your autistic student sensory needs. Yeah, it's the most important thing, the sensory needs. And honestly, be, I've taught a couple different types of classes before, and I'm working really well in the autism classroom because I'm able to also integrate my own sensory needs along with my students. And it's really great because I'm showing them like what I'm doing to regulate to help them. So it's learn like I get to model and they learn. It's really great. So around my classroom, I have a bunch of different items. I have, we have like a sensory bucket with different fidget items. So poppets, squishies, fidget spinners. We also have like alternative seating. So I don't expect kids to just sit at a chair. They can stand. We have cube chairs. We have pillows. I have like a little couch, yoga balls. We have all sorts of different seating options. I have several kids who just love the yoga balls. Won't sit on regular chairs. I won't make them just because they need to bounce. I also have a sensory table. I have a little play corner where we do a lot of dramatic play to 
work on just interacting with other people. And that has a sensory table. And right now it's like a space theme. So it has like star confetti and rice and like some little alien guys, that type of thing. I also have a trampoline in my classroom for kids who need like that vestibular regulation. We do a lot of sensory activities for learning because sitting there and doing worksheets isn't how a lot of kids learn. Like we do them every once in a while, but we, we try to do a lot of sensory and like fun activities. So the other day we were doing trying to remember, oh, we were spelling out some words and kids are at a different level of words, but they were spelling it in like shaving cream that I had on the table. And then they got to play with it afterwards. It was really fun. Or I have like a, a bucket with rice and beans that has different numbers and they have to like pull, find a number, pull it out, say what number it is. Like some kids, they have to like put numbers in order from least to greatest, that type of thing. I also, one of the biggest things is I have a set amount of time for like each instructional period. So say we have like 10 minutes to do this one activity. If they finish it in say five minutes, then that rest of the time they get to regulate, to do whatever that they need to do. They get up and walk around. They can go do those sensory activities, that type of thing. And I think having those moments in between working is super super important as well you can't just work 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 that's super dysregulating i mean you're gonna get bored all that jazz so allowing them just to have free time yeah uh, is very important and waiting is so hard um and i remember going through you know when i was in school before i knew i was autistic i think one of the things that probably most negatively impacted me was just sitting in one spot Uh, you know, like looking back, it's like, yeah, I can't do that now. Like there's no, there's no way, like that was not a good thing to be an effective way to learn. I know I personally can't sit still. I have to at least be doing something with my hands. I actually like keep a sketchbook with me at all times. So like if I'm in a meeting and I have to be sitting, I'm, I'm doodling. And if I don't move in some way, I completely zone out and I'm not going to figure out like what's going on and I think it's really nice that I understand that I think it's something a lot of people don't quite understand and I'm seeing a lot of growth in my kiddos just that they're able to do that type of thing I learned about you on your Instagram and one of the things that you mentioned at the top of your profile is that which I I think is so true is that you said you are functioning in society and and crashing at home Um, I definitely can relate. So I'm wondering if there are ways as a teacher you have found to reduce your overwhelm at school so when you get home, it's maybe not as intensive a crash. Yeah, I definitely still crash, but there are some things that I do to help. I have some medication I take. I'm also ADHD, so I have Adderall. I'm allowed to take it twice a day, and it really helps just to keep focused. And if I take it twice a day, I usually only take it once, but if I need to function, I'm allowed to take it at lunch as well. So that medication helps. I also, like I said, with the sensory stuff, I use it to regulate myself as well. In previous years, I've been in teaching positions where I haven't really, like I can have had it, but it hasn't, it's been like kind of weird, you know, if that makes sense. Like it's not, Something that most teachers do. Most teachers aren't autistic. 
and that's okay. But like I've I've gotten some weird looks for it and whatnot. But being able to use those sensory items and it's really fulfilling being able to model that for the kids, but then also it helps regulate myself. I really like some squishies that I have and some poppets, that type of thing. I give myself sensory breaks. So I have a fabulous para who takes the kids out for recess and I'll stay inside for recess. It's right after lunch and the lunchroom is loud. And so a lot of times I just sit here and I'll turn off one of my classroom lights and I'll put on calming music on my smart board and I'll just like be able to focus and get stuff done. What's some other stuff I do? Oh, I have like, I use Chewy's, Chewy necklaces. Trying to stay on schedule always helps. And then, oh, I use reusable earplugs a lot of the time. I have loops and they're amazing. There's like a specific type. I can't remember off the top of my head what it's called, but it like filters out a lot of background noise, but you're still able to like converse. It's really, really, really helpful. Cause like right now I don't have them in for the interview and I like hear the air conditioning going on over there. And like the janitors are cleaning stuff down the hall. And you know, a lot of my kids have verbal stims and I'm not going to stop them from verbal stimming personally, but it, it just lessens it. It takes like the edge off of a lot of noises and that really helps regulate myself. Lunchrooms are so loud. It's it's almost like school boards get together and be like, let's see, let's how can we make the most noise possible in the lunchroom? Yeah. <laughs> One of the things I really like about your Instagram account is that you post about accommodations that are available for IEPs and 504 plans. Now you talk about mm-hmm. so many different things that I think can be helpful to disabled students. One accommodation that you mentioned that I don't know how many are aware of is allowing for oral responses for tests. Have you seen many students use this accommodation? And if so, what might be the difference for them in regards to their responses on tests? So this is one of my favorite accommodations. I'm so glad you brought this one up. I think it needs to be used more than it is. I don't see it used a lot, but this is something I do with almost all of my students. Like if it's a writing assignment, obviously they have to attempt to write. But if it's something like a reading comprehension test and they have trouble with writing, I'm not going to know if they're understanding what they're reading when they're really struggling with writing. A lot of my students have apraxia, which is like, difficulty with physical motor fine motor movements and so like if they're worried about their writing they're worried about making sure the letters are formed correctly and making sure they put like spaces between their words and that type of thing and they're not actually focusing on the assignment they're worried about the writing because it takes so much like of their brain capacity to do that and that's okay but it doesn't allow me to see what they know. So a lot of times I'll just let my students say the answer or I don't have students with AACs this year, but I have in the past and they can type out on their AAC or find the picture on their AAC. I've also seen students with like cerebral palsy get this accommodation because a lot of times they can write, but it's just, it takes a lot of time or they fatigue really easily. So allowing them to do that is very helpful. It's just really helpful to figure out what the kid's actually know in my opinion and and writing you know like you said does take up so much brain capacity i would do a lot more writing 
if it wasn't so draining to organize my brain and then sit down and mm-hmm. to like put it all together. Another thing I do to help with writing, if there is like a writing assignment or like a spelling assignment, is I have a lot of my kids learning how to type. I have one kiddo with apraxia who just, for whatever reason, has so much trouble putting spaces in between his words when he's physically writing. But if you put him on a computer, he'll put a space between every single word. Like he knows it's supposed to be there. He understands the concept. It's just when he's writing, it's just really hard for him to do. Another accommodation that you discussed on your Instagram is, uh, and this might sound strange coming from a teacher, is not giving a student homework. Why might it be a good idea not to give the student homework unless the parents request that you do? Yeah, so this is something my entire school does, which I love. So the research that's been coming out lately actually indicates that Homework doesn't really do a lot in terms of increasing academic achievement. And that's not something a lot of people know. But like Finland, which is one of the top performing countries, like school-wise, math-wise, reading-wise, they hardly give any homework if they give homework at all. And they have those top performing scores. And what they do differently is they do a lot more sensory breaks they have more recess time for kids and they have just all kids not even disabled kids and they do a lot of learning through play which they have found research wise as well of late that learning through play is way more efficient than just sitting there and doing worksheets just because it's so much more natural and you have like the physical movement it's multi-sensory it's getting your brain working and engaged But yeah, research is showing that there isn't actually a lot of benefit to homework. When I have parents request homework, I will send it, but I also encourage them to make it playful. Say I have some students struggling with reading basic sight words that don't follow like regular phonemic conventions. So I'll send home those sight words that they're struggling with, but I'll say instead, parents, instead of doing like flashcards to make it into a game, hide the words around the house and make it a scavenger hunt or something my parents did is like whenever I went to the fridge there would be a word on the fridge and I had to read the word before I could go in and get like a drink or a snack or whatever just having things around the house like that making it playful making it multi-sensory that type of thing but yeah children learn better through through natural play you get a lot of social skills life skills language skills just through sitting and playing a board game more board games in schools for sure and, and less homework where was this research 30 years ago this could have really helped me <laughs> well it's it's honestly pretty groundbreaking stuff and a lot more people are becoming aware of it This was a school policy we put into place, I believe, last year. Another big part of it is, like, you don't necessarily know all of your students' home life. They might not have a parent that's able to help with their homework, Mm -hmm. or they might have to help with siblings, or they might have, like, daycare after school or something. You, You don't necessarily know those home situations as well. There might not be time for homework. There are so many accommodations that you discuss on your Instagram that we could talk about them for days, I'm sure. But there's just mm-hmm. one last one that I wanted to ask you about, and that's uh, extracurricular materials for the home. 
So especially in high school, the textbooks, at least in my experience, were really heavy. And due to executive functioning, sometimes I would also forget stuff at school or home. Sometimes the books would be left at home or in my locker. Now, this is an accommodation to me that would be so incredibly helpful. But at the same time, it's an accommodation that would cost school districts money, it sounds like, you know, having two textbooks instead of one. So I'm wondering about your experience of accommodations that cost money versus those that don't on IEPs and 504 plans. So if you have an accommodation that's going to cost money, you are more likely to be approved that accommodation or get it suggested if you have an IEP versus if you have a 504 because schools get public schools get funding for students on IEPs but they don't receive any funding for students with 504s however if it's something that's necessary talk to the team and get it put in if it is put into the 504 plan if it is put into the IEP that is a legal document they have to provide it on the county providing two textbooks versus one, they usually buy them in like bulk. You know, they're not buying one textbook for each student precisely because you always have kids moving in, out, all that jazz. Even if they don't have an extra textbook in your classroom, they might have one in like the book closet at school or they might be able to email like the county office who probably has some extras lying around and get one sent over for you to use. I will say... More in modern day, I think this is more my time, your time. In modern day, like my stepdaughter, she doesn't hardly use any textbooks. They have something for ELA, and that's about it. They have a couple workbooks, but not a ton of textbooks. A lot, so much is online nowadays. So that's helpful. And in that case, you can receive like access codes so you can still get into that stuff at home. And uh, how can our listeners learn more about you beyond this interview? Yeah, I've got my Instagram account, which you've mentioned a couple times. I am autistic autism teacher. I also have a Redbubble account. There's a link in my Instagram profile. But if you search me on Redbubble, I'm Emily Archer Arch. And I have like cute little neurodivergent whatnot. I have like six designs or something. I'm working on more. Anyway, so I have that Redbubble. And then I have a website that I use with my best friend and my husband, archerstudios.me. And that's currently a work in progress, but we're getting there. <laughs> now, uh, you mentioned your husband, you're married, and have a stepdaughter. Mm-hmm. From what I understand, that as a family, you love to play board games. Do you have any board games in particular that you you and your family love that is a go-to? So this is a really interesting question. So my husband, my stepdaughter, and I were all autistic. We all love board games. Now, there are instances where, like, my stepdaughter and I love Catan. My husband's not a big fan of it. Some games that we all enjoy are Five-Year Mission. It's a Star Trek game. There's, like, a Dresden Files cooperative card game that's really fun. Dice Forge is super, super fun. However, lately, what we've been playing a lot of is my husband, who is also autistic, one of his special interests is game design. And so he makes his own games. We've been playtesting a lot of those. Part of why we've got that archerstudios.me website is we're going to start attempting to sell some of his games and get them out in the public eye. He's got fun ones. 
like nuclear summit where it's like you're trying to avoid nuclear wars if you're the government that's more of like a party game right now he's working on like an scp deck builder card game and in a couple months he's actually got like a rpg horror system we're gonna try to see if we can kickstart but he's got a whole bunch of games i can't like off the top of my head i don't know which ones are ready to put on the website there's a couple on the website right now like sports ball but they have like filler art at the moment and not like the the complete art so we're actually working on taking those down and putting up what we have full art for all that jazz but yeah so for the most part we play a couple actually published games but we've mostly been playing like husband's games that he's been making very cool well emily i really enjoyed uh, getting a chance to know you a little bit i felt like some of this conversation was getting out my trauma from school <laughs> about the things that that bothered me. But it, it's always exciting to me when I can, when I get a chance to talk to an autistic teacher like you that is really can do things differently to really engage students and support them in ways that maybe that me or yourself or and many other adults that didn't get those same opportunities. Absolutely. It's really, it, it makes my heart happy. It's very fulfilling to do and to be able to help as, as much as I do. I really, I really see a difference. I really feel like I make a difference. It's nice. Thanks so much to Emily for the conversation. To learn more about Emily, please check out the link in the podcast description for this episode. Here at Autism Personal Coach, our clients are the experts. Our coaches are the guides. The majority of supports for autistics are not helpful. They try to fix us, not support us. That's why many are confused when we say our clients are the experts, experts of their lived experience. Our clients are the experts for what has worked for them and about the things that they need and want in their lives. Our coaches first listen to our clients and then ask thoughtful questions, offer resources, and strategize with our clients so they can get what they need to thrive. Would you want a guide in your life to coach you to get you the things you desire? If so, then visit AutismPersonalCoach.com for more information. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Autism Stories, and if you did, if you could tell a friend, foe, or anyone you know about it so they could have the same enjoyable and educational experience as you when listening to Autism Stories, it would be very much appreciated. Till next time, I'm Doug Bletcher of Autism Personal Coach. Talk to you then.